Hey, DTC pod, it's time to let your customers enjoy the products they love without the friction of reordering. That's why the world's most innovative brands like Pete's Coffee and Il Maquillage rely on order group subscriptions to build long lasting customer relationships and recurring revenue. Easy to manage and seamless for shoppers, Order Groove comes with the tools your business needs to become the next big subscription success story. Visit ordergroove.com slash DTCpod today to receive two months off your first contract. Again, that's ordergroove.com slash DTCpod. Also, are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. Welcome everyone to DTC Pod. Today I'm your host, Ramon, CEO of Trend, joined by Blaine, co founder of OmniPanel. And today we have Shane Frank from Ridge Wallets. Sean, how are you doing today? Excited to have you here. Thank you for the time. Would love to hear more about Ridge Wallets, what you guys are up to. And um, yeah, feel free to take it away. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, here to answer any questions. Do you guys just want like a 30 second background? Yeah, yeah let's, so, let's jump right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Ridge. a little bit about the brand and what kind of products you guys offer? Ridge.com. We sell cool men's metal accessories mostly. We're really famous for the wallet. So the Ridge wallet is like the smallest a wallet could possibly get. It comes in like carbon fiber, titanium. We had an 18 karat gold one. Yeah, super popular brand. We sell, you know, millions of wallets a year. We're doing nine figures a year in revenue. So uh, happy to answer whatever questions you guys got about e-com. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one reason we were excited to have you on is we were kind of talking about is that there's a lot of brands that make it to the, you know, one to 10 million annual revenue sort of mark, but scaling up beyond that, it's a new challenge. So, you know, why don't you talk to us a little bit about when you got started with Ridge, where the business was at and what your background was a little bit before that to ramp up to where you guys are now. Cool. Yeah. So when I was like 20, me and my CMO, Connor, still my CMO, best friend, lived with the guy for like eight years. (laughs) We started an ad agency. We were working at a local ad shop in LA. We decided we could probably do it better because the problem with scaling an agency is you have to hire. And the more you hire, you have less control over the people, you have less control over the client relationship. So we figured like, hey, let's me and you start like this boutique thing. Like we'll get 10 clients max, we'll have 10 employees max, we'll be super high touch. And one of those clients was Rich Wallet. They have a very unique business at the time, doing a couple million dollars a year off Shopify. They were like two years after a Kickstarter. So they had the foundation of a good business. They were buying wallets and selling them, but they didn't really have digital expertise and they didn't want to manage a team, right? So they're like, hey, can we just outsource all of this to an agency? And we were that agency. So it worked for the first year. And the second year, I'm like, you need a customer service team, you need a logistics team, you need this, that, whatever. And they're like, cool, why don't you hire them and we'll just pay you. So we did that for a couple of years and then I was charging them like $250,000 a month and it just made sense to merge. So we merged and I became a CEO, I've been running it and we've had a couple of banger years. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it's so fascinating to hear how you came from kind of the agency side and the ad side and you slowly got more and more involved with the operation because you clearly knew 
the business and, what, and everything that was going on with the business. And that clearly put you in a good position to eventually just run the whole thing yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't do, do it myself. Got a great executive team, got a bunch of great people. I mean, this is the year, we'll probably end the year at 80 something people, right? And we have a whole team of VAs, we work with 3PLs, we got, we got a bunch of stuff going on. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's been good. It's been a good journey. I think you had a question like, how do you get from the one to 10 to like the 100 million plus? And we can dive into that and it's not gonna be easy. <laughs> Yeah, no, let's dive right in there. So why don't you tell me, like, what did things look like when you came on? I know you said you're in the one to 10 range. There were still a lot of things that you had to implement into the business. But at that time, when you first came on, like, what were things looking like? And then where did you what were your first immediate steps? Yeah, well, you know, those those first couple of years were like the golden years, right, where we were just running Facebook ads, driving to a Shopify homepage. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, the most complex thing was like, we need better static photography, right? This is like 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, where if you were bad at Facebook ads, you could get a 10X row ads, right? And you know, the thing that benefited us was we always thought it was gonna get worse. I'm just a naturally paranoid person, right? So like we were on the cutting edge of diversification away from paid media channels, right? Things were going great on Facebook. We were getting you know, a 10X row ads, but it's like, we need to be on Snapchat. So we were the first Snapchat advertiser. If you read the, the Snapchat earnings report when they launched ads, we are named because we were the first people doing it, right? And we've been a TV spender for years. So pre iOS 14 fuck ups, we've been spending money on TV. So we've just like always thought it was gonna get harder. So like one of our biggest tips was just diversify quickly. A lot of it, I mean, you asked what it looked like. It wasn't sexy. I mean, it was it was 20-year-olds figuring out how to run a business, right? So it's like, there's going to be mess ups, there's going to be mistakes. And I made a ton of mistakes, but I think most businesses can get to that $10 million mark. I think that's actually like, if you're running right now and you have an e-com product people seem to like, and you're running Facebook ads, like you're doing the basic blocking and tackling, right? Like you're sending email campaigns, maybe you're touching SMS right now. The $10 million mark's easy, we had the hardest time, 15 million to 20 million, like in that range, like the post 10. So we did 8 million one year, right? Then we did 15 million. So awesome growth, near 100% growth. The next year we did 20. So growth slowed, right? And that that was the hardest year of the business. What happens is if you're a profitable e-com brand, you have this problem where taxes are due every year, right? Specifically, if like you're doing accrual accounting, which like you're supposed to now, I think, right? So you have this problem where you got a big tax bill, right? But you just grew really fast. So you need to buy inventory to keep up with that growth. And that's what kills those businesses. That's what really ends up fucking up growth past 10 million. 10 million, you can basically figure it out because you're dealing with maybe $100,000 here or there, right? You can like, you got some credit cards that can cover that. You got you you could figure out how to stretch that that line, but continuing to grow past that, you're just dealing with like the law big numbers. It's like, cool man, my tax bill's now three point five million dollars. I got to come up with, and now I have to pay. You know, collecting sales tax is two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Like just collecting it and remitting it correctly, because you have to file in every single state. You start running into those problems that like make it actually very hostile to a fast growing small business, right? And that's where I see is the dead zone. Like getting that right without raising money, without crazy payment terms, without slowing down growth. Because if you slow down growth to 10%, like if you did 10 million, then you want to do 11 million, then you want to do maybe 13 million, that's easy. But like once you start getting those big jumps, 
things start breaking, right? The other thing is the biggest business I know that only does Facebook ads is doing like 75 million a year and they've had the hardest year ever last year, right? So like the way you got to crack into the 100 million plus club, right? There's a reason why there's, there's only a few people in that club is you need to like, one guy I know who's in there, just amazing at funnels. Like he sells a product that's like an older audience, you know, in a really awesome space, high margins. You know, he can put up 220 this year in total revenue because he just knows everything about funnels. So he can drive Facebook traffic to Bula traffic, Snapchat traffic, TikTok traffic now, just to these funnels that convert really well. And he can build funnels specifically. And then the other guys, it's like just... How does the marketing team evolve like that, right? Like, you know, then you can start getting to the point where you have very specific people. Like, then you start getting, you know, people that only focus on email marketing, um, people that focus on funnel building, people that focus on conversion. And, you know, how did that team change, you know, from when you guys first took it over and, and you were an agency to then, you know, at which point did you say, okay, like we've been scrappy with the marketing team we have, we need to start getting really specific. So like, I guess another way to ask the question is like how many people were there when you guys started with the taking over just the marketing and then how many are, are now in the marketing only? The beauty of agencies is that you make money off of services. And then how do you deliver services? You deliver services through people, right? So we, when we started the agency, it was just I was the sales guy, basically, as CEO. We had uh, John Stid, good friend of mine, as like the operations guy. He was like, make sure people got paid and taxes, whatever, right? We had Connor doing all the marketing. And then we had my brother, who's a, who's a developer, who's still the developer for Ridge today, right? So like the core suite of stuff we were offering was like my strategy ability. So I would get on calls and talk through whatever strategy I thought was going to be good. And then we had Connor doing actually paid me to execute and then, you know, dev work. But uh, very quickly, you find one client who will pay you for email. You hire an email person. Now we have email as a service, right? Then you find a client who will pay you for Google Ads. Now you have Google Ads as a service. You hire that person, right? So like, I guess, you know, when we did the merger with Ridge, they were getting a full-fledged team because we had email, search, whatever, right? But that was built up and subsidized by a functioning agency business at the time. So... Any advice for any really big brands listening right now is if you're having a problem finding talent, just buy an agency. Uh, I think that's pretty good advice. But yeah, now, I mean, probably half the company has some sort of marketing role, right? I mean, we have six people, more now probably, we have seven people who just do influencer marketing. So all like, if you bought Ridge Wallet and you go on YouTube or go on TikTok, you might see us sponsor a lot of like content, right? We sponsor like 5,000 creators a year or something crazy. And all of that is done in-house through like seven people at the Ridge signing people all day long. So yeah, just to give you an example, I mean, yeah, we have two people who just do email. We're probably gonna hire a third person who just does email. We have a designer who just designs emails, right? So it ends up being very, very specialized, like just the bigger you get. I think that's super interesting about the insight of like when you're running an agency, you're doing all these services and you're trying to create more value for um, the businesses you're working with to begin with. So you have all those contacts. So that definitely makes sense into where you're going. And then I guess piggybacking off the um, off what you were talking about on the content side of things. So clearly you guys are all over a whole bunch of different channels. One other thing that's jumped out at me on Ridge's site was how you guys have like baked in affiliate programs and, you know, like cross-selling opportunities for 
people who are on the site. So how do you guys like kind of think about organic and what's your approach there and where, where does that fit into the mix for how you guys are thinking about things? Yeah, I'd probably put organic as one of the biggest buckets left for us in 2022, right? There's a couple of things that I'm really focusing on. Organic's one of them. I can't get into too much detail, but I we're, by the time this comes out, we've probably bought something that's going to really help with our organic, right? We're in talks. It's going to be seven-figure deal. We're going to buy something. We're going to push it out. And it's going to like help foster that like content, that organic piece, right? Because what I think big brands mess up is that like people still buy things from people, right? So like even if they're on their website or whatever, like this whole idea of brand is like, does this product make me feel a certain way, right? And like people are like the most centric part of feelings, right? So like if I think one reason we've had some success is our influencer program and it's because people you trust are showing you this product, they say they love the product and it mimics personal recommendations like to the highest degree, right? So I think it's a way like we able to capture a lot of success. And it's like, how do we continue to do that? How do we continue to personalize everything we're doing? And how do we act like with intention so that customers understand who we are and they understand why they're buying from us? That's really, really hard to do at scale. I know it's like a very fluffy, nuanced, almost bullshit answer, but like that's what we're trying to capture this year. One thing that you just said about the influencer side of things, clearly that's a super important part of your business. And you guys have been around for a while. So were you guys pretty early to the influencer stuff? And how have you seen that kind of evolve over the last couple years? Yeah, so we missed the Instagram influencer wave completely. (laughs) I don't have an Instagram, so that's why we missed it. I just like, I've never got into the platform. I didn't really see the value of the platform. So we just never invested time or energy there. We were extremely early on YouTube advertising. And that's because that's where I spent all my time. I was one of those kids in like 2008 that was like watching YouTube videos nonstop. And um, that's still what I do, man. I told you I was in this room for the past like 80 hours this week. And I like I have a massive screen and one part of it's playing YouTube all the time. So we were very early on that. Then yeah, mostly because like a personal preference. I would just reach out to people and be like, hey, can we sponsor videos, right? And um, so we ended up getting a bunch of outsized returns there, right? I think the market sort of normalized where like now YouTubers have agents and now rates are kind of pre, you know, there's more openness about it. And like, you know, everything's kind of moving up and to the right in terms of prices, right? We're still, I think, a top 10 YouTube sponsor, but we're competing with, mobile games, VPNs, like non-physical goods. So it's really, really hard to compete with them. And now we're seeing, we sponsor a channel called Donut Media, which is, uh, it's like a car channel. Really cool, check them out. You know, we typically buy 15 to 20 ads a year across that channel. And now we're competing with like, Sensodyne Toothpaste is buying ads on that channel. And it's like, the car channel, the car guy is being like, this is good toothpaste. So like, that's like the, the market we're in right now. There's so much competition inside of Facebook and TikTok and TV that like we're seeing legacy players move into areas they've never been in before. So that's going to continue to get hard, but we're going to continue to play there because that's like kind of where our roots are. What do you think about organic YouTube? Yeah, so that's that's one of the challenges. Like, it's the, a heavy investment. Like it takes a lot of time and a lot of capital probably, but I feel like... That's the one thing that these brands are going to take longer to implement because their culture, you know, these bigger corporates is probably not as easy to sell, you know, to get to that personalized brand for the viewers. It's easier to do with organic. It just seems like a huge lift. 
Yeah. So there's a guy, Goulet Pens. So shout out Goulet Pens. He's a big merchant. He's based in Virginia. I won't throw out his numbers, but you know, he's uh, a big dog. He's the number one pen guy, right? Most of his success is built off that like YouTube video SEO, right? Like just type in Goulet Pens, check him out, man. And the reason why brands are going to have a hard time with it and the reason why Rich has a hard time with it is something you can't outsource, right? Like our content, like our our Influencer content is influencer shot, influencer release, distributed by them, right? Our studio photography is done by a studio photographer. Their face is in it. It's not personal, right? But when you get to YouTube, it's like, I can't hire a guy to do it, right? Because people want the relationship with that person. They, they like the way that he delivers his style or whatever. And he could get a different job. He could get a Netflix show. You know what I mean? Like that guy could do whatever. So I can't outsource it, right? And if it's an employee, it's, you know, we've, you've seen that happen to G4 back in the day. They, have, they build up these employees, the employees leave. And like, it's because you're a faceless corporation. So it has to be one of us, the executives to do it. And uh, it's just find the time to do that and be finding one of the executives who's interesting enough to do it. And I don't want to do it. Some of my wife yeah. will do it. <laughs> it's just like Sean sitting in front of his desk for 80 hours, like not much going on the channel. <laughs> yeah, I can live stream it. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to see that. But yeah, so I think yeah. figuring out organic YouTube is a big thing for us. We're actually going to hire a creator in residence, right? So like if you guys come from like the investment world, an entrepreneur in residence is somebody who had a successful exit or, or worked at a VC backed startup and they just kind of sit inside the VC fund and like, just supply advice. Like they plug holes where you need them, maybe as a CFO, maybe as like an interim CEO, whatever. So what I'm trying to find is an X creator. So like, there's a lot of dead YouTube channels. It's just the reality. Dude, I'll talk for five hours if you let me about this, but the problem with YouTube as a platform is that it is personality driven, right? And your personality, your interests might change over time. Your audience might age out. Like this just happens. It's, it's an organic part of life. The stuff I liked when I was 12, I don't like now. And we have YouTubers who've been starting since they were 12, right? You know, like Ryan's toy review, what happens when he's like 17? <laughs> like, what is that kid going to do? You know what I mean? I'm sure he's got plenty of money, but you know, just something to think about. And you watch this with big Minecraft streamers, right? So especially like, so anyway, there's a lot of dead channels, but what I would love to do is get someone who had a successful YouTube channel, offer them a job to come in here and just kind of teach us how to create content and community and that type of stuff. So also, what would, what would our YouTube channel be about? Fucking wallets? <laughs> it's like, hey, what kind Yeah. Well, dude, I'm looking at this, um, you know, what's this called? The Goulet Pen. This guy gets a million views for how to install a Lamy ink cartridge on a pen. I mean, that's... That's wild. Dude, and he's the nicest guy on earth. And he built a very successful business off the passion he had, right? So if you can replicate that organically, go fucking ahead. There's, there is white space there to be conquered. But it's the same reason why people don't do YouTube influencers. It's really, really hard. I really love the creator in residence concept because, you know, even here at Trend, like, you know, we have a community of creators and we constantly have to hire for, you know, community managers and creator success. And I'm like, well, the biggest challenge is that it's really hard to help creators be successful if you haven't been a creator yourself. And then if they have been creators or are successful creators, well, like they don't necessarily want a nine to five um, job. And, you know, that creator in residence is something I've thought about for even like, you could scope that down to even like small businesses can use 
on you know influencers they might not be able to afford for posts but like to give them ideas for their own native content you know hey i can pay you to do you know say you have a hundred thousand followers or a million hey sean can i pay you to you know do my content calendar as a small business if i can't afford to work with you and you're trying to get into organic content just something i thought about recently so the creator in residence sounds super cool yeah, for you guys, you, you should check out Hayden Hiller Smith. So on YouTube, it's Hiller Smith. He's the editor for Logan Paul. He has amazing videos about in depth how he edits videos for Logan Paul, like what the process looks like, how it goes through, and like it might not be a perfect fit for what exactly you're doing, but he's the type of guy that I would love as a creator in residence, like just because the dude knows everything about how to make YouTube videos, right? He's made the most successful YouTube videos on the platform. And he's like, yo, it's a science. He's like, like here's how you get people hooked. And that's, okay, going back to the e-com part of the discussion, right? So I'm gonna try to connect these two, these two dots. If you want to get to like the 50 million, 70 million, 100 million, right? You have to start thinking like a content creator because there's a very good, and I recommend this to everybody, it's a two and a half hour interview between Colin and Samir and Mr. Beast, right? So Colin and Samir, they make content about creators in the creator space, love the channel. Mr. Beast, I don't gotta plug him, biggest fucking creator on earth. But it's a two and a half hour interview where they just go into like his process about how he makes videos. And he goes into it and he says, you know, his videos have like a 70 to 90% completion rate and his minimum target is 70%. They're 30 minutes long. So he is getting somebody, most people to watch a 30 minute video in one sitting without stopping, going through ad breaks, going through his own personal brand deals, going through whatever he's got going on. And we talk about trying to get somebody to watch a 30 second ad, you know what I mean? And, and like thumb stop rates, trying to get, because people are just going straight through it, right? So you have to sort of think like a content creator. Like how do you actually deliver not only a product that's a good value, that is the reason if somebody wants to buy it, but like to get that in front of somebody, you have to be so content first, right? CPMs are going to be what they're going to be, right? Like I talk to people all the time, they're like, what do I do to make Facebook better? And I'm like, do you have a time machine? That's what you need right now. Do you know someone at Facebook who will commit a crime to get your CPMs lower? It's like, it's never gonna get better, but you can, so you as a brand need to get better and people hate you having that conversation, right? It's like, you need to make content better. You need to make this stuff better. Facebook wasn't the only traffic arbitrage, like op golden opportunity there was, uh, you know, at the time before that, you know, even like, even say before, even, you know, there was cold email and then GDPR compliance. And like, there's always been the thing that works that eventually just doesn't work as well anymore. And, and I like that we're talking about YouTube because people think organic content. A lot of people are thinking TikTok, but you guys are doing Snapchat. Like, how is that world? Yeah, look, I mean... There is no golden bullets like uh, or silver bullets. Nothing's going to be 2016 Facebook ever again. So we just try to be everywhere, right? There's a perfect sliver of efficiency on every single channel, right? So it's like even let's just I'm going to throw out round numbers. Let's say I'm spending $10,000 a day on Snapchat and like, you know, it's, it gives me okay results. Like you do a whole cost analysis, but like what the perfect amount of spend is like on every different channel or whatever. But if I spent 2K a day there, I would have amazing results, right? So there's this perfect level of efficiency. But yeah, I mean, look, we need to get better at creating organic content across every single platform. But right now we're spending money on paid media across every single platform. And is your Snapchat content like different than your TikTok content? Like, is it organic on Snapchat or is it just performance? I'm just curious because I haven't heard much about Snapchat. 
marketing. Depending on this, this came out, the stock price went, so it's doing okay. We have an organic social component to everything we do. It is going to be slightly different from our TikTok content, just like a little more flashy, right? This is why I got a team. They know the strategy way better than I do. I can just tell you, I like that we do it. One thing I, I just really like about your guys' approach to it and even the idea about creator and residence is that's basically you guys saying, hey, we want to invest in our own future by being prepared to do all these different things, right? Because if you're just spending just like one dimensionally to acquire a customer, like sure, you may have a Facebook ad, you may bring them into your funnel. And if you have good retention and you can grow organically, great. But like, if you're thinking of it from the perspective of let's evolve our entire content strategy and be prepared for the future, all that stuff becomes super investable because that's going to be giving you ROI, ROI all the way down the line as you guys grow and as channels evolve and change because the content game, it's constantly changing, whether it's from from Instagram to TikTok and to YouTube and how people are creating on those platforms. It's a little bit different from each to each. Oh, yeah. My thought is that Instagram followers will be friends on MySpace. So it does not matter. Like how many friends on MySpace that you have? You can, you cannot tell me, but there's a lot of people walking out there with a million Instagram followers. And it was the be all end all of cool for five years, seven years, 10 years, whatever that era is going to be, all eras end, right? So how do you bomb proof your business for the next change in the era? And it's going to be a content first because at the end of the day, people like content, right? Like, I mean, that's what forums were in the first days of the internet is just people communicating and fighting with each other. And then it goes to memes, it goes to whatever, right? It's all just people like content. They're trying to waste time. So figuring out how to make the content and not just disrupt the content is a huge piece of that. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. The other thing too, that I think is kind of refreshing to hear is how you just said, like, I don't even use Instagram. So that wasn't even part of the stuff we were focused on from the beginning, because in the D2C space, it seems like that's the, the first platform people look to. So to hear like a brand grow to your scale without even like thinking about without Instagram is kind of kind of wild. Now, obviously, everyone's like being like, oh, OK, let's get into TikTok. Let's get into all these different platforms. But like to literally hear it from the horse's mouth and be like, yo, we're doing a hundred plus and we didn't even think about Instagram is kind of kind of crazy. Yeah, it just shows you what personal bias has for your business, man. I'm just like, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't use that app. I use YouTube, right? I mean, dude, so one of the most successful businesses I know is just pure SEO focused. He has one of those domains that's just like the word people look for. And uh, he does fucking like $75 million a year, like just pure profit, basically, because people type in that word and he's the thing that shows up. So, yeah, I think, Ramon, I think you were saying it's like... Um, everything's a hack, like everything's a golden secret till it stops. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what Facebook was. And it's like, there's something else somebody's doing that's driving amazing results, right? And uh, there's always something like that. It gets brought to the mainstream, but by the time you hear about it, it's too late. That's like, there's a golden rule 
so like I was reading some like Vice reporter thing, and they were talking about that, and it's like it's like yeah, by the time you see it in the news, it doesn't matter anymore. It's like everyone that knows about it has already acted on it, already knows about it. Nothing's breaking, right? If, as long as you're in the industry. So just take that with a grain of salt. Is that by the time you're hearing about something, it's too late to act on it. So just keep living your life. That's like the YouTubers, you know, saying the top crypto traits to pick. <laughs> by the time the algorithm feeds you that video, <laughs> you're too late to make that call. Right. When you think you're part of the pump, but you're actually part of the dump. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a marketer's job, I mean, at the end of the day, right? It's like, what are the people that you're looking for hang out and where can you find them for as cheap as possible? And so you always have to be moving ahead of the herd to be able to do that. It's not how do I make this channel last forever? People sleep for like eight hours, right? So they can't, you can't serve them any ads then, right? But then we have the whole rest of the day where either they're looking at a screen or they're talking to somebody or they're, they're out in the world or whatever. It's like the amount of time to serve those people ads and serve them products doesn't change. It's just the platform that they're consuming on does change, right? And it used to be billboards was the best way that it used to be. I don't know, pager messages. I have no idea what people used to do. But then, it, and, and then it was Facebook, then it was Instagram. And that it's just going to continue to change, right? And if Facebook has their way, we're going to be wearing VR goggles all the time and serving the ads that way. So what I will say is that like, as become people become savvier, as they take like more care of their time, the cost per impression will go up. So like your only focus needs to be making sure those impressions are as meaningful and impactful as possible. It's like, we will get to a world where CPMs are $100. Can you survive that world? The answer is no, right? So what can you do to be ready to survive that world? You know, what's interesting is as you're saying this, I'm like, well, I wonder if, you know, some of Ridge's customers are asking for like other SKUs. And I'm like, it would be so interesting if brands are even like choosing the priority of SKUs they're going to launch and products they're going to make because of how appealable that product is to making content. Or like, you know, there's some brands that seeding products is like impossible because the size of the product or it's refrigerated or it's too expensive to ship. So like, are you guys thinking of you know you said what are we going to do are we just going to shoot you know content for wallets well is there things in the future for ridge in terms of SKUs that customers might be asking for that kind of might be easier to implement into the ridge lifestyle outside or something yeah so i think if we did make a youtube channel we would try to make it uh essentially a game show focus like what mr beast does right i think the beauty of that content is that you could probably swap out the host and still get a really high watch rate just because of the the ridiculous nature of it, right? Now he's an amazing personality. He's a great group of friends. Like he invents all the ideas, super great. But you know, being buried alive for fifty hours, like I'm probably watching that regardless of, of, who's, of who's doing <laughs> yeah. that. So anyway, I think I think we we'd probably make something a little more focused like that. But the really interesting about products that I, I think you are touching on, well, the community feedback is important. But the big thing that brands don't want to talk about, right? And this is like, if you're an agency, like they're paying you. So like, you don't want to rock the relationship too much, but you need to make better products probably every year, right? It's like Apple's worth $3 trillion. Every year there's an iPhone that comes out and every year they need to give you a reason to buy it. What if they said... Yeah, you know, there's no updates this year. It's just the same. <laughs> Maybe people would still buy it, but no, like they, you need to deliver a reason, an improvement, and you have to constantly be getting better, right? And no one wants to hear that. They want to have a website from 2017. They want to have a product from 2016. They want to use the ads from 2018, and they still want to be successful in 2022. If that's your playbook, it's not going to work, right? So like, 
What you guys are doing on content, I think makes a lot of sense. You know, what you guys are doing on data, I think makes a lot of sense, putting those things together. But really it's like, at the end of the day, like we're selling goods to people and we need to make sure we're making good products. So a big thing for Ridge this year is we're gonna release a bunch of products <laughs> and we have millions of customers. We think they're gonna like them. We asked them what they wanted. We hope that this is what they wanted. Just thinking about things in terms of like constant progress, constant innovation, constant improvement is so important because markets aren't stagnant. What com consumers want, that's constantly evolving. And so being able to keep a pulse, like you said, you can't just run the playbook from 10 years ago and expect it to work just like it was. You're constantly in motion. The other thing that I kind of wanted to circle back to um, was you were talking about a bunch of the challenges. So when you guys were going from you know 10 to 20 mil, call it, there were a lot of like logistical hurdles to get through. So a couple of questions that I had operationally, how did you solve for those? What was it like having to deal with those? How did you figure out those on the fly? And what advice would you have for people who might be coming up against the, you know, going from 10 to 20? Like what can they do to, to get ready for that and put themselves in the best position to make that jump? Yeah, that's, that's what I consider like with a great filter. That's like what separates brands who will make it from brands who don't, right? Probably the best advice I can give if you're a $10 million brand who thinks they have a bunch of growth ahead of them, right, is um, hire the best people before you think you need them. So if you find someone who is actually, like everyone just uses the term A player, right? But like really think about that. It's like a top 10% is it just of all people or is it in the specific field, right? Because the specific field is a lot narrower, right? So if you're really finding a top 10 digital marketer or a top 10 CFO, right, make that higher, right? Even if you don't think you can afford it, even though if it's going to cut into whatever and you don't get to fucking buy a new car or whatever, like make that investment because if we had more people and more guidance earlier, we would be a billion dollar company now. You know what I mean? Like that was like we got so, it really throws you off your feet those years going from 15 to 20. And then, you know, we had a year, a good year after that, we went with the 30, right? So we were back on that trajectory, but that was a very hard 24 months, right? Like figuring out supply chain issues. It's going to be even harder now. Figuring out how do you balance cash flow and all that type of stuff, right? So yeah, the number one piece of advice would be hire earlier to solve those problems. Second piece of advice is figure out your accounting way before you think you need to. If you're not collecting sales tax in every single state, just start doing that right now. If you ever want to exit, you need to, <laughs> you will get fucked so hard if you do not just start, forget about the nexus, forget about whatever you fucking hack you think you have, just collect sales tax in every single state. Customers are gonna pay it, conversion rates won't go down, you're just hurting yourself. And then figure out the rest of your accounting stuff, right? Like get a real firm, get gap compliant, get audited. And the reason why you have to do all that type of stuff is when you actually want funding from a bank, right? The people who, who give you loans or a VC or a private equity group or a family office, it's way better to have your ducks in a row before you go to meet with them than look like a fool and take 12 months, 18 months, 14 months, whatever, how long it takes to get your shit together. So do all that stuff when you don't think you have to. Find the time to do it. Uh, there's a guy, Aaron, his name is called Lucid, and he's he's based in Miami. And he always talks about like just, you know, no one's finding time. There's no fucking time under rocks. It's like you're creating time to do the things you care about, right? And uh, you got to create the time to hire, nurture your people, and solve those, I really think, financial problems, right? Like supply chain, logistics, factories, like 
those are companies I want to do business with you. I think it's like a lot of stuff we can figure that out. It could be flexible. You can make stuff in different countries. You can, you know, pre-order stuff, all that type of stuff. But if you really ever run into something where a good opportunity comes up or you're actually cash flow constrained or like there's a black swan event, you need to be protected through that to actually survive or else you're going to get bought for pennies. My next question going into a little bit about like the cash flow and having your ducks in a row, what type of financing did you guys take on, if any, as you were going through that? Were you were you looking at debt? Were you looking at VC? Like, how'd you manage that? Yeah, we took on no debt, no funding at all. We're still owned by the same guys. When none of us were rich before this, so it was very much us bootstrapping through. And I, that might come off as a point of pride. It's actually a point of ignorance. Like, I wish we would have gotten debt. It would have made the whole thing way fucking easier, right? I wish we would have got funding or private equity or VC or what I w- something, right? But we didn't because we didn't know how. We didn't have the the people guiding us through. We didn't have any of our ducks in a row. And I'm telling you, all the pain I felt those years would have been subsolved. I would have had an extra $5 million in the bank, which is a lot of money. Dude, $5 million is a lot of money. But now we're in a position where I could spend $5 million willy-nilly. And it's like, now that people want to give me money, I don't fucking need it anymore. So it's like- There, there, was, there, wasn't, there wasn't revenue-based financing then, right? I don't know if you guys are affiliated with any revenue-based finance people, but that's a very murky water of predatory loans, depending on who the, the person is. They don't even call them loans because it's a merchant cash advance because the, the fucking- the interest rates end up being like 47% or whatever when you do the math. So I'm not a fan of those. What I really mean is like building a relationship with a, a small or local bank or Chase or, or Bank of America or whatever, and you can get asset-based lending. So you can, if you have inventory, you need more inventory, you can get asset-based lending based on that. And that's pretty cheap. The holy grail is just an open line of credit. And that's where like, there's still a lot of restrictions. Like they're very, very worried because like, Especially because you don't want a personal guarantee on it, right? If, you put, if you're willing to put a personal guarantee on it, it ends up being a lot easier to get. And maybe you fucking want to roll the dice and do that, but a lot of people don't. So if you want a non-personal guarantee line of credit, that's the hardest thing to get, right? I wish they would open that up more. I mean, there's a whole thing that they'll give you $100,000 for student loans, but they won't give you a open line of credit to do stuff. But anyway, so yeah. <laughs> I think that's incredible that you guys did get to this stage and you did do it bootstrapped and that probably made it I mean, you guys should take pride in that. That's like an incredible achievement to be able to scale through that bootstrap all the way. But in hindsight, I guess, at what stage, knowing what you know now, like where would you have gone to bring in capital and how would you have deployed that? Like you said, if I had an extra $5 million in the bank, when would you have wanted it and how would that have helped you um, kind of move things along at those stages? Yeah, the real crunch was the the $15 million year, right? I mean, this is ancient history at this point, but... We have a really big year where we grow 100%, right? We can't get, we can't purchase enough inventory and pay our taxes. So we have to pay our taxes. <laughs> and then and then we had to spend 18 months, like just with almost nothing on our website. When things would show up, they would sell out. And it was just like, we still got that 30% growth or whatever. It was still an awesome year. Like, I mean, $20 million, I'm never gonna fucking sneeze at that, right? But like, that should have been a $30 million a year. And then, then we should have had a hundred million dollar year the year after that. So like once once you start feeling kind of those croaks, those growing pains, like I think it's it's really so, like a, above seven, seven, 10, 12, 15, like somewhere in that range, you're gonna run into that big roadblock and maybe you're there right now. I would go to, you know, in those days I could have got VC funding, but VCs have kind of turned a uh, blind eye because there's not a lot of good outcomes in our space. But uh, I, would, I would probably try to go to one, the community. There's a lot of angel investors just on Twitter, right? Like 
build it up, kind of like just like circulate your pitch deck, kind of like start being like, look for a million, look for two million, look for three million. These like they're a lot of money, but they're small amounts of money across like, you know, 25 angels or whatever, 30 angels. Uh, or go to a family office. There's a lot of just very rich people who, who deploy capital and weird things like this and would like minority stakes. But you have to have a vision to exit. That's like the problem with raising money from an investor is they would like a return, right? And they would like a return that beats the market. So if you're taking that 5 million or 3 million from you know, a family office, you have to show them that in 10 years, you will deliver them $30 million back or $50 million back. Like it's, and it's really, it's like you, you have to just calculate what would be the internal rate of return on this money and that's how you can get a valuation, right? And, but anyway, if you don't want to go through all that, I would just try to build a relationship with the bank. Maybe there's some crypto shit you can do, right? Uh, maybe you could tokenize the business, do a DAO. I don't really know about any of that, but. Uh... I love this conversation because, you know, there's now a lot of vehicles that allow businesses, e-commerce businesses to be sold. If you're much smaller, you know, one of our main sponsors is Open Store, where they acquire your Shopify business, but they're not going to acquire it if you don't have your shit together from the very beginning of the business. If you're not doing your sales taxes right per state, if you think it's painful to do that early, you should see how painful it is to then have to go back years in records and try to get all that information <laughs> gathered after. Yeah, and it, it'll tank a deal. I mean, so here's something, this is like, if you're gonna pull a TikTok out of this and like actually give people advice, like here's like the one thing Every dollar you don't collect in sales tax gets removed from your top line valuation. Like if you're to be sold, that's exactly how it's done. It's considered a liability. It's like you didn't pay a debt or something. So even though the states might not come after you, even though the states might not collect, you have to negotiate all these points. And what they're going to do is like, yeah, there's $7 million of liability. Like you sold for 10 years and you didn't collect any sales tax. That comes off as of something, right? And so now you're essentially giving all your customers 10% of their money back every time they make an order and it's coming out of your fucking pocket. So just collect your sales tax and remit it. It's painful, it's stupid. I wish America didn't operate like this, right? That like, all right, this is a whole tangent, man. I, I, <laughs> it's not our tax liability. That's the fucked up thing. It's the customer's tax liability. They live there, they get paid in whatever fucking state they get paid in. They're making purchases shipped to their address. It's their tax liability. We're collecting it and remitting it on their behalf for free because we're such fucking nice guys about it. And then we still get charged by everybody along the way. So it's a huge pain in the ass. I'll stop complaining about it. IRS don't come after me. I pay all my fucking taxes. But uh, that's really the, the big piece of advice is it has to come from somewhere if you want to exit. So heads up. That's super important just in terms of giving advice from your vantage point to a lot of companies who are going to be going through that and don't want to make those massive fumbles that could cost them a ton down the line. I think that's super important. I guess the last thing I'd, I'd sort of say before we start wrapping up here is what's, uh, you know, now that you've grown from the beginning to doing, you know, 100 mil plus, what is your day to day like these days? Like, what are you personally focused on? How do you, uh, you said you guys have like 80 people. Um, what's the operation look like? And you know, what's your day to day? Like, what are, what are you focusing on? Yeah. On the path to 80 people, not quite there yet. You know, it's a lot of, it's like team support. <laughs> I think people don't realize that, but like CEOs aren't like dynamic people yelling in boardrooms. It's like most of my job is like cheerleading, right? It's like, Hey, are you doing okay? What can I do? Can I support you? Right. I have a good executive team where like I basically write up everything I want done in a quarter or a month or a year. And I'm like, 
your job is to get this done. I don't want you to do these things. I want you to get these things done, right? And be like, you hire, you find, you go through that type of stuff. And then it's like just like strategic planning, stuff that like nobody can take care of. If it's stuff with like lawyers or negotiating or I'm trying to buy some stuff right now, right? So it's like any of that type of stuff is like, it requires me to do. And yeah, just helping out where I can, man. <laughs> I love that attitude, like being everyone's best cheerleader and bringing the whole team together and, and driving the ship. I love that. Anyway, wanted to thank you for coming on the pod today and sharing your insights. A lot of like absolute gems of knowledge drop. So really want to appreciate that. Where can our listeners find you if they want to find you on on Twitter, or LinkedIn, or uh, you know, or find more about Ridge? Where can they connect with you and and the brand? Yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter, Sean ecom something like that or ridge.com that's our website you can check it out he's not on instagram so don't go looking there <laughs> yeah yeah we'll make sure to add those to the show notes but um yeah sean awesome having you on man i might need a an upgrade of my ridge wallet because i know this one is never you know gonna just fade away so um thank you for building such a cool product company and super excited to see you know what's next for ridge uh thank you for the time Awesome. Thanks, guys. It was fun. Talk to you later.